body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Thanks, Parker. Really straightforward stuff there. Does anyone have a different verse or version than the NIV on them? I have the NRSV, and I can read that, but if we have anything other than those two. ESV? Yeah, let's hear that one. Oh. Yeah, why not? I think it's good. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that every woman, every, everyone who looks at a woman with blessable intent has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that you throw your that your whole body could have. I love how it specified that you had to throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's as if like someone was just going to like frame it on the shelf or something. <laughs> <laughs> or like maybe maybe I'll hold on to my dismembered limb <laughs> and go to hell. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. Concerning divorce? Yes. Oh. Uh, it, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The, the NRSV was very close to that, so I'll just spare you that uh, <laughs> reading as well. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, so as I was like looking at this passage, um, the first thing that came to my mind was kind of doing like an evaluation almost of where our culture is in regards to this passage. Um, so I did a little bit of uh, researching, just literally a tiny bit. Um, but this concept that Jesus is bringing up um, of a culture struggling with lust and um, sexual immorality um, isn't a new issue. Because literally, when Jesus was around, this was something that he felt was really important to address. Um, and obviously, we see that in our culture today still being an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, and there is just this human tendency that, that all humans have to um, lust or whatever, you wanna, whatever word you want to call that sexual desire towards um, another human. And that's something that's like naturally instilled in us. Um, but I just wanted to do like an evaluation almost of our culture. Um, so I just have a couple of statistics here. But if you want to add any like insights about our culture or things that you've noticed, feel free to jump in because this is like a conversational space. So if you ever have questions or want to push back on something that we say or make a comment, just raise your hand. Um, so I found a statistic that 40 million Americans view <coughs> pornography on a regular basis, um, not just ever, but on a regular basis. Um, there's 40 million Americans um, that are involved in that. And the 
American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy is saying that 25% of married men um, and 15% of married women in some, at some point in their marriage have had an extramarital affair. Um, and that, that statistic actually went up 20% um, if you included um, affairs that were emotional or affairs that didn't include intercourse. Um, so that's up to 45% of men um, have in some way um, been involved in some type of affair or adultery um, in this passage's context. Um, so just I want to do a quick evaluation of kind of where our culture is um, in regards to this idea of lust and adultery. Because um, Jesus obviously takes it very seriously, like he's saying cut off body parts, throw it away. Um, so I just want us to realize that we should be taking that seriously as well. Um, so to start off, uh, there's just a couple questions. Um, kind of the structure of class time is we'll have questions for you to discuss and we want this to be a conversational space. So if you want to, turn to the people around you um, and discuss whatever comes up with these couple questions. Um, and then we'll just go around and talk about what you think and go from there. So just take a few minutes to turn to the people around you and answer one of these questions, answer both of them, or just talk. Yeah, you can turn your chairs and get into groups of three or four or however. Just do it however you feel you deem it necessary to discuss these questions to the best of your ability. <laughs> Alright, so we'll start up here and work our way around. Um, just add any comments if you have any. So, you guys Yeah. So, Nate mentioned how like, our culture has begun to like sexualize everything. Like, he said, like, even the word, like, daddy, like, we can't even, like, not sexualize it. So, like, everything is just becoming, like, sexualized. Um, and then also another major issue is just, like, not seeing humans as humans and beginning to view them as objects and, like, taking the, like, actual human connection and intimacy that comes from that away. Um, so those are, like, the main issues that we talked about. And then for this, are we in the same you can answer both. You can answer both if okay. you want it. We touched on the second one a little bit, um, just talking about how, like, in like private Christian settings, like if you've grown up in that, like, oftentimes, it like sex is just like shamed and it's like don't do it kind of thing, and they don't, I don't know, they don't always talk about like the gift and the beauty that it is, um, and so even like if you are to like take that into your marriage like you can have feelings of shame if you've like grown up in a setting where it's been like don't do that like it's just a negative it's talked about in a negative way a lot when it's truly not a negative thing mm -hmm. so so we talked about a lot of uh, similar things as this group we talked about just like the objective objectification of not even women but just like people in general and our culture has added to this uh, like exponentially and like the hookup culture that is like so available to people now through like different apps and things it's like kind of tarnished 
the image of it and like the special thing that it is um, because it's not just that it's so available but it's just like so commonplace to see it in like media and like TV and movies and things like that. It's just, just kind of worked over you a bit. Do you guys have anything back there? Uh, well, so we sort of talked about sort of some totally different topics ago about sort of the issues in sort of the media and sort of how they're portraying the you know random mm -hmm. ads for like beer products or yeah. you know, just like random things. Just, or like, Hardee's commercials. Yeah, Hardee's commercials. <laughs> I'm like, why is, where's the burger at? This didn't make me want to buy a burger. Snapchat accounts, crazy to me. But um, another thing is that our culture and society places value on somebody's sexuality or how appealing they are to them. And uh, somebody's appearance shouldn't reflect, or how attractive we are to them should not reflect their value in our lives or the value of their opinion or their beliefs. And yet, all the highest followed influencers are, they're all just beautiful people, or they post things that make people want them for more than like who they are. And I think that's completely backwards, um, and it's just gotten away from placing value in somebody's heart and who they are as a person. Um, yeah, we've always been like trained to see that as the first thing that like defines like who someone is or like how we view them. Which is why like all the stuff you guys have been talking about of our culture has shaped us to perceive like beauty or sexuality as like almost as the most important thing that we should notice when we interact with someone. Um, like I said, it is like, really backwards. Do you guys have anything to add, Becca? Yeah, so we would say that the, uh, there's a kind of distraction to it. So the, the shock of it and the distraction that comes with the sexuality of our culture equates to money. Like a lot of companies, we already talked about this a little bit, but a lot of companies make a lot of money by having that be their primary focus of marketing. Um, and it's just kind of backwards. Sex sells. It's a, it's a phrase. Um, well, we basically said what everybody else said, and one thing I'll add is that I think as Christians, we forget what the purpose of sex is. Um, like why God created sex, that like we don't see it through the eyes of God, we just see it like everybody else is. And we have to constantly remind us what, you know, what the purpose of sex is and how it can be pure and beautiful. And also I think we 
misuse the grace and forgiveness of God when we fall into sexual sins. We think that, well, God will forgive me. You know, it's like, what we base our that sense on somebody else's, like the scales, like, well, it's not. Like somebody else is doing it worse than that. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, just kind of like what everybody said, but like, um, so the first question, like, like the culture views views it as like it's okay to do it, and you know, and um, it's whatever you want to do, and um, they don't they don't uh, view it as like the Bible and what it's supposed to be, and um, like it's kind of like what else I said like. Sex is supposed to be between one man and one woman during marriage, and like um, that's good. It's supposed to be like that. And um, but um, people just do do whatever they want. Um, and like outside marriage. Um, so yeah. Um. We go over some more things, and also the second question talked a little bit about the sexualization of sin. In that, when in a church setting, sin is talked about, and someone says they're struggling with sin, is often assumed that it's a sexual sin. Right. Um, it's like, oh, if I'm not like, oh, I lied yesterday. It's like, yeah. oh, like no, I'm like struggling with pornography or like having sex with a bunch of people. Like you don't go to the call and tell him, hey, I I lied yesterday. <laughs> Can we please yeah. pray over me? Exactly. Like, oh, that's yeah. yeah. So, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, you're right. Yeah, that's just something I thought of. Like, why is sex the one that we hold so high over all the rest? And like, that's the the really <coughs> taboo one, or the one that gets. I, I mean, if, if, for those, my, both my parents are in ministry and have been for a really long time, so I've experienced a lot of church turnover based on sexual immorality. And I just lately have been wondering, why is that the sin that gets ministers fired? You know, they, they probably lie as well, or they probably have stolen something. Why is that the one? Um, and then the next thought is always, does that take away their ability to preach the Word of God? I, I definitely think it... Invalidates it maybe to some people, um, but yeah, just some experiences in the past. It's like, man, that guy still is one of the best speakers I've ever heard, and and really like says some really good stuff about Jesus and like what he does in your life. But now I'm not supposed to like hold him to the stand. I guess not sta- standards, not the right word, but hold him with the respect I used to have because. But, like, who am I to say, well, I no longer can listen to him because he's done that, where I have my fair share of sins that if people knew everything I've done, they'd be like, well, I don't believe anything he says. So, you know, why, when that's broadcast, is that when they lose their ability to still preach the Word of God in an effective way? Um, sorry, tangent. Uh, was that all you had to say? No, that proves it. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> So, one thing that we talked about um, 
that, I mean, it's pretty much like what it's in your mind. It's like the sacredness of sex. Oh, I know. It's from my wallet. I guess I'm sitting on it. The thing about is like the sacredness of sex and how we have made it a hobby in our culture. Um, it's just something that is a physical act that, that we do, but um, they don't understand the connection that it makes, um, much like everybody else said. And then sex, like they said, is viewed as a negative thing in church, and it's like, you know, God created sex, so I don't think he would yeah. create a whole lot of negative things. I don't know, but that's, that's my thoughts on how God. Yeah, so I took notes, or like little clip notes of what everyone was saying, and I think one of the things that is really sticking out is this conflicting idea of, well, this is what church says, and this is what society's saying, and it seems like both are starting to double down on that, and they're really trying to harp on, well, this is what church says, you shouldn't listen to society. I'm not so sure that society is doubling down just based on church, but I definitely think churches are doubling down based on society and they're like look at all these horrible things we've really got to hit home this is bad and we've really got to get the point across that this is not right and I'm not sure if that's the most healthy way of um, combating the this culture this really sexualized culture um, I don't know if talking about how bad it is is the right idea I, um, I guess maybe you, you have some thoughts on that, but kind of the idea of, it was, uh, trying to think of who I heard, I like to make sure I give credit to who said it, because I don't want to take it for myself, but it was that passion, I guess a few years ago, and this guy was basically saying that churches always harping on how bad this is, and how bad of a sin it is, and how bad it will make you, is like, it, it, this may not be the exact analogy he was making, but I think it, it is roughly the same, is basically like an alcoholic pouring a shot, putting it by his bedside, and saying, okay, I'm not going to do that, um, because I know it's not right, but but this is this keeps getting put in front of me, so I'm going to have to put it right in front of me, but I'm not going to do it. Um, I, I, his, his point was actually a cell phone, like pornography is so easily uh, accessible on a cell phone uh, in such a sexualized culture putting your phone next to your bed every night is like pouring an alcoholic pouring a shot and then saying, I'm not going to do that, even though it's right there. Um, so make of that what you will. Uh, <laughs> a little off where I was going for now that I realized the full analogy, but I think still yeah. fair to the topic. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you guys for your feedback. Um, kind of leading out of what you guys were just talking about, um, it kind of moves into this idea of are we treating people as humans or are we treating people as objects, kind of like what some of you guys brought up. Um, and I was reading this story of this author named Sheldon Van Uken, and he has this analogy um, where like, he said if you buy a new car, the first thing you should buy after that is a hammer, and that you should go to your new car and put a dent in the front of the hood because that way you won't be afraid to park it Next to other cars, you won't be afraid to get door dings on it. Um, and pretty much his point was that things aren't aren't meant to be loved. They're meant to be used. Um, and on the opposite side of that, people aren't meant to be used. They're meant to be loved. Um, and I think this speaks directly into um, kind of all the issues that we just brought up that are in our culture. Because 
we've turned this idea of loving people um, into using people, and we've began to, through this, the sexualization of people and um, just everything in our culture, um, we've began to lose the idea that we need to be loving people, and we've like turned them into an object that is to satisfy us or is to bring us gratification. Um, and I kind of just saw it as just like we are like turning people into objects through that misplaced sexuality. And keyword of misplaced because um, I don't want to make it seem like um, sex is a bad thing, kind of how we were just talking about how the church has done that in the past. Um, because sex is an amazing thing, um, but when it's misplaced, um, it's, it begins to turn people into something that can just bring us gratification. Um, and I think that's where our culture has um, split away from where we're supposed to be heading. Um, and that isn't something we should feel like, oh, America is so bad at this because that's something that's a reality all around the world. That's been a reality since Jesus was around because he was speaking directly to this. Um, so you guys kind of just talked about how our culture objectifies and diminishes people. I really like um, the idea of how we have like put sex into advertising, put sex into um, how we portray um, people in media and um, how all of the people who are famous, quote unquote, or popular are people who are sexually attracted or um, like presenting themselves in a way that is going to um, create like a mind of lust that the passage was talking about. Um, but I think at the root of this, um, there is a heart issue behind it. And um, this guy named Ed Dobson, who was a professor at a Christian university in Florida, and the story is like, when I read this, I was like, this can't be true. But it's, it's like kind of one of those stories where like, I don't know if I should be giggling or like, like cringing right now or like scared. But so he was a professor at a university in Florida. And he said after one of his lectures one time, a student came up to him and the student had one eye. And obviously the professor like eventually asked like what, what's going, like what happened to your eye? And the student told him that he took Jesus' words literally, and he had his eye removed because he was tempted to lust. And, but the thing that stuck with the professor most was that the student said um, that even after he had his eye removed, like Jesus literally was saying, he was still tempted to lust with his other eye. And that just, like, pushes us towards... The idea that, like, what Jesus was saying wasn't meant to be taken literally, because I don't think Jesus wants us to be walking around with one hand and one eye. Um, so he's not saying that we literally need to do those things and throw them away. Um, but we do need to realize that he was saying that because it was a, a severe um, announcement, and it was something that was to be, to be taken very seriously. Um, and I think he was just using those, um, like, physical like comparisons just to like make people realize like this is something that like if you are not like gonna be willing to step into this like pure mindset then you're gonna have to be willing to take extreme measures um to step into that yeah i so there's often times i read parts of the bible and think well there's no way this is what's actually meant uh because that's ridiculous and 
as we talked about, I don't think Jesus is actually saying, go cut off your limbs if you sin. Um, but I think if he were to have just said, don't do this, or um, I, 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 what's a light way of saying, he's just really trying to get the point across. And I think one of the things I fall into a lot while reading the Sermon on the Mount is taking this as like, I don't know, I imagine Jesus like gracefully like using his hands and like all the people are just, wow, this guy's just really speaking some things. But I, I think Jesus was like really, like think about when, the, when you're in a sermon and the preacher is like hitting the heavy parts and he's going and you're really invested. Because there are times in a sermon where you're like, I wonder how my fantasy team's doing. Like, let me check that real quick. You're like kind of listening. But then there's times where the preacher's hitting it and you're like, whoa, like this is hitting home right now. That is more the way I imagine Jesus' Sermon on the Mount going. Like, he is, like, on fire, really getting at this. And these people are just, I, I don't, I guess maybe there's some way of knowing how long. It's three chapters, almost. So, maybe there's a way of, like, deciding how many words he said in a minute and then adding up all those minutes and saying, well, this took him 30 minutes to say all this. I think he could have gone for a really long time, and the people sitting there, had no idea. They were just like, this is insane. What This guy is saying some crazy stuff. And I think that and we kind of lose that aspect of it because it's you know, now writings on a page and we've read it so many times. Um, but reading this, it's like I think Jesus is really saying, if you sin, cut your arm off. And the people are, what? <laughs> hold on, what did you say? Right. Um, not just... Hey, if you sin, you should cut your arm off. Because <laughs> you wouldn't want your body to live in sin. I think it was, do what's right. If you sin, cut it off. You don't need your whole body to go. And so, I don't know. I, I think we lose the in- intensity of what Jesus is trying to say. Yeah, last week, Golden was talking about how David Rubio memorized the Sermon yeah. on the Mount. And he would, there was a couple times where he gave it at a service here. And Goldman and his wife, he said they left, and they were like, that was the most hellfire and brimstone sermon I've ever heard. Because <laughs> it, it, if, you, if you hear it all together out loud, it is a very, like, yeah. what's the word? Doomsday? Doomsday? Not really. Doomsday person? <laughs> yeah, like a very... It's not the whole world, but like an individual, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. One thing... Um, but I digress. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> um, one thing that um, that Dobson talked about um, that really kind of I felt was the heart of um, the passage that Jesus is giving us here um, is just this quote that I wrote, read real quick. It says, "We have to change the way we look at the world. We have to change the way we look at people. We have to change our hearts. Plucking out our eyes and cutting off our hands won't change our hearts." And um, kind of above that, I was just thinking about how, like, kind of how Colton was talking about an alcoholic, like, putting something next to their bed and um, expecting the struggle to go away. Um, even like, if... Get stronger than the struggle. Yeah, get stronger it's like, than... It's not like a training exercise. Yeah. Really. It's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but... I'm done. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, like, in the same way, I think that... In a struggle of lust in this situation, like removing triggers um, is helpful. So for, for say, someone that is addicted to pornography, removing the triggers for that is helpful. But in someone who is 
um, addicted to going into a sexual situation that they don't want to be going into, um, removing the triggers for that is helpful, but at the root of it, their heart isn't going to be changed by removing the triggers. Um, so I think as a church, we need to um, to speak to this more because I think a lot of the things the church has done in the past as a, as a whole um, is trying to train people to remove the triggers um, of things and remove the act. Um, but I think at the root of it, if we're not if we're not moving towards a heart change on the issue and we're not moving towards a heart change so radically that we're not only transformed in our own hearts, but we're convicted so much that we're going into the culture that is so messed up and being willing to talk to people about it and say, hey, I know this is what the culture is telling you, but I want to present this idea to you and show you what I'm living out and is bringing me joy. Um, so I think it, at the root of it, there has to be a heart change um, when it comes to lust because um, it's not a struggle that ever or a temptation that isn't going to go away for a lot of people um, because like I've talked to married people that say I I'm thought when I got married that I wasn't going to be tempted to look at another man or woman or I thought when I got married I was um, going to be completely free from any um, addiction to pornography or addiction to um, looking at um, X, Y, or Z. But at the root of it, if there's not a heart change, um, you could put yourself in a marriage, you could put yourself in uh, the perfect situation, but there's still going to be that desire within you. Um, and that is part of our natural human desire um, to be sexual because God created us, created us that way. Um, but I think we do need to address more of the, the heart change. Um, not only individually but as a church and pouring that hopefully overflowing that into the culture around us um so what you guys can turn to your neighbor and talk about for just a couple minutes um if you have anything what do you think um i kind of just talked about it a little bit but um obviously there's this hard issue behind sexual sin um maybe what are some of the applicable ways you think the church could um deal with that or what do you think needs to happen within the church um, when it comes to dealing with sexual sin? Um, I can't think of anything that's perfectly okay. Um, but just take a few moments to talk to the people around you um, about that. The first question right there. I think it's like seven years ago, it's like alcoholics and all this. 
we I now have like two kids too, so just like even learning about what my body does like tells a lot, especially as a woman, like how powerful that God is and stuff. But I feel like those are really nice to learn as opposed to just like sex is bad and get STDs because that's what I learned with them. Yeah, the academic and the, the church setting both kind of hinge, I don't know if they still do, but did on fear. And so kind of re, reshaping that to how how do you connect sexuality with your faith? How do those two interact? Because there is overlap there. It's not two things that are completely on the opposite side of the spectrum. So having a more comprehensive approach to um, and learning about that is uh, just lacking, I feel like, everywhere. Uh, I think learning, like, why it's special in marriage, too. I know we've heard some of that as women, too. Like, you have to class with someone that had sex and they talk about all the all the stuff we're over with. But, I think another important one that is we don't really talk to people who are suffering from the addiction part of it and people who have committed it, that we don't help them, we don't talk about it. Because, yeah. you know, an important thing is like, you know, we hear so many testimonials from people who are alcoholics and why it's bad and why, you know, how they got out of it and same with drug abusers. We just don't hear it from these people. I think these people are also very important to helping those prevent it and understand more why it's bad. Any last response? Yeah, just kind of like what you were saying. Like, I, like I feel like it's like, we, we were saying that how like like you should like basically have like a mentor, you know, and like talk to you know somebody about it and like um, to help you and then um, and then to help you uh, go through that and give you. Um, just like tips or like 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 give biblical or Christian mentor yeah. and like help you walk through that. And um it's a yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well thank you for your guys' responses. Um I found a prayer. Um so if you would join me in reading this prayer as we close. Behold me, oh my God, at your feet. I do not deserve mercy. But, O oh my Redeemer, the blood with you have shed for me, encouraged me and obliges me to hope for it. How often I have offended you, repented, and yet have I again fallen into sin. O oh my God, I wish to amend, and in order to be faithful to you, I will place all my confidence in you. I will, whenever I am tempted, instantly have recourse to you. Until now, I have trusted in my own promises and resolutions and have neglected to recommend myself to you in my temptations. This has been the cause of my repeated failures. From this day forward, be you, O oh my Lord, my strength, and this shall I be able to do all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Um, if you want to receive emails about class, you can write your email on this paper right here. Um, and we're having a small group at the Bledsoe's for college students tonight. Um, if you want inf more information about that, just come ask me, and we'd be happy to see you there. But thank you. Have a great Sunday.